This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. What's up, you smart, awesome, glorious humans? It's Monday, and you know what that means. A new episode of the WOMED drops. It's also the first day of March, which means International Women's Day is next week. Don't forget to check out becomeunlocked.com to see the necklaces I designed with the WOMED in mind with a Nashville-based jewelry company. Unlocked is so special, you guys. They use recycled metals, and my favorite, they employ women transitioning out of homelessness. One of their employees actually just finished school and got a job in home health care. The homeless population is very large here in Nashville, and honestly, I'm just really grateful to Unlocked for all the work that they're doing to help the women of this city. I do have a personal request. If you have purchased a necklace, please, I think it'd be so cool, please wear them March 8th. That's next Monday, and tag me in a post about what the necklace means to you. I will repost it and share y'all on the WOMED page. Secondly, have y'all checked out the WOMED on Patreon yet? I know I like, I go through all this stuff (laughs) every episode, but it's important. There are two tiers set up for the WOMED Patreon, and you can get access to early episodes, ad-free episodes, and a monthly Q&A session with moi. You can ask me all of your nursing questions, podcast questions, scrub questions, relax questions, you know, whatever, anything you feel like, I will be there to answer them. This week on the WOMED, I'm speaking with Tanya Tringali. She is a certified nurse midwife. Shout out to Ella's Wellness on Instagram for requesting a midwife guest and not knowing I had already recorded one, but how could you have known? But I'm just excited that I can provide that for you. Tanya is so smart and talented when it comes to midwifery, advocating for fitness during pregnancy, and women's wellness. I'm so excited for y'all to meet her. All right, time for that nursey energy. And this week's NDE moment comes from Brie. She writes in, I have been a nurse for two years now and started my career as a new grad in an ICU. I received the All-Star Award on my unit, basically equivalent to the Employee of the Month, last month. I'm very happy to see that the culture is changing and acceptance of new grads starting in an ICU is becoming more common. Bree, thank you so much for sharing this and congrats on your award. Honestly, being acknowledged on your unit is really special and it, it just feels good. So I acknowledge your hard work. I also love that you were able to start your nursing career in an ICU setting. That's something I get asked a lot, like how do you get into NICU? How do you get into specialties right away? Short answer, it's not impossible. You just have to do your digging and find the right hospital and program to begin that new grad nursing life. So keep sending me your NDE moments. I love to read them and share them. Even more so, I love the responses that I get from listeners who really resonate with the NDE moments shared. Empowered people empower people, and you honestly don't know who you might encourage. That sounds sappy, but it's very true. (music) 
Tanya, thank you so much for joining me on the WOMED today. I'm so excited to speak with you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Tanya, I think you are our first midwife on the podcast too. Ooh, very cool. Yeah, I've had a couple of different fertility experts and stuff come on, but now no one that's a, a certified nurse midwife. So welcome as my first. Thank you. Yay, that's so cool. <laughs> I always knew that, you know, women and children were going to be the focus of my nursing career. But before I fell into the NICU world, I was definitely researching the nurse midwife route because birth itself is just so cool. It is. It is. I don't think anyone really gets it unless they're actually in a delivery room. Oh, I totally agree. And there's so much you just don't think about ever until you're pregnant. I mean, I... I I have a 20 year old at this point. So my birth, and I only have one child. So my birth was a long time ago, but I am definitely one of those people that didn't think midwives existed when I was first pregnant. I really thought that you only heard midwife in historical novels and such. Um, yes. And so it was such a learning curve for me to, to be pregnant. I was young, I was pregnant, but I was notably unhappy with my experience from the very first visit. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way. And then I was in prenatal yoga class and heard somebody say midwife and my ears perked up and was like, what is going on over there? <laughs> and you know, before you knew it, I was like sitting in the corner of Barnes and Noble reading every book I could get my hands on and kind of knew where I was going to go. So I was like navigating a pregnancy and a new career path at the same time. But it's amazing how many people I meet that don't know what a midwife is, or if they do, they think we only attend home births, like mm -hmm. all those kinds of misconceptions that are, you know, fun to answer all those questions. So is that kind of what drew you into midwifery? Like, were, were you a nurse first already at this point? Or I was not. No, okay. like I, I went to performing arts high school. I moved to New York with a suitcase yeah. and a few hundred bucks when I was 17 years old. And then I was pregnant at 19 years old. It was a very sort of meant to be kind of situation. Like I never doubted that the, the moment I was pregnant, I never doubted a thing. It never crossed my mind to do anything else. And I have no judgments about what anybody does ever. But for me, it, it felt right, even though it was really strange and I didn't think it was supposed to feel right. And, you know, very quickly, I realized that these two experiences were going to be very linked because I figured out about midwifery, you know, by the time I was 12 weeks pregnant. And I was on a path. So like I was at my first birth as a doula when I was six weeks postpartum. And I went to a few births and I said, screw it. And I was in nursing school. And then I, you know, got through nursing school with the sole intention of being a midwife. And by then I needed to come up for air for a minute. Yeah. So I waited. I worked for two years as a labor and delivery nurse, waiting for my kid to be old enough to go to kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to midwifery school while she was in kindergarten and first grade. So yeah, that, that's how it all happened. So those two journeys were intimately linked for me. I'm going to sound just like Alexis on Schitt's Creek, but I really love this journey for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, I can't say I know the reference because I tried to watch a few episodes of Schitt's Creek, like when it first came out yeah. and for whatever reason, I didn't get into it. Now, everyone says how amazing it is and how the pandemic has changed the way the show sort of comes across. And I feel like I have to give it another go. <laughs> definitely, definitely give it another go. I think the first time I watched the whole season through or like the whole first thing, like 
the Schitt's Creek as a, as a whole, the first time I watched it all the way through, it wasn't really until the second season that I was like, okay, yeah, I really get it. <laughs> and then I just started rewatching it all again because it's, you know, sometimes you just need to turn on those those calming, like funny shows and like Parks and Rec is gone off Netflix now and I still have Schitt's Creek and that just, it's great to have on during the day and I'm just laughing my butt off now, so. Oh, I'm going to have to give it another go with all my free time. I I would. (laughs) (laughs) So what was midwifery school like for you? Like what's all involved in that? So midwifery school kind of ties into another big piece of my life, I think. I I guess I tend to connect dots and do two things at the same time. Mm -hmm. I So I went to NYU, uh, New York University for nursing school. Okay. And when it came time to go to midwifery school, I wasn't super excited about going to one of the campus-based programs in New York. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. about that that I thought I wouldn't get a good education at all the New York-based schools, but I, I knew that they would put me in a clinical site and that it wouldn't be my choice. And I had really clear beliefs about the kind of midwife I wanted to be and where I wanted to train. I had, I gave birth at a freestanding birthing center and I was really interested in doing birth center work, home birth work, all of that. Mm -hmm. And I just, at the time did not really want to be in the hospital. Understandable. I figured out that there were some distance education programs and that at some of the distance ed programs, you actually had to find your own clinical site. And while that might be uh, a deterrent for some people, for me, it gave me the freedom to figure it out. And I knew I I gave myself that two-year break for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I started asking every midwife I could find, you know, if they would precept me. And it was not easy. And it, it was next to impossible in New York City to navigate that if you wanted a different experience. So ultimately, I found myself two clinical sites outside of New York City. One was actually in Connecticut, and it was a freestanding birthing center. And the other was actually a hospital, which was an interesting turning point for me. But it was a really small hospital in Sleepy Hollow, New York, called Phelps Memorial, although it's now something else, now Northwell. Um, And they have more midwives than they have OBs attending deliveries. It's a super tiny hospital. Four labor rooms, tubs in all the rooms, and just super midwife-friendly. And it felt very birthing center like to me. So I was like able to wrap my mind around that being my hospital experience. Mm-hmm. So I did all my births as a student in those places. But anyway, the education itself was distance ed. And this is before all this technology that we have now. I mean, yeah. I had a computer, but I didn't have like Zoom and all these kinds of things the way we educate people now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a pretty interesting journey, but I found that distance ed made me super independent as a midwife. And I realized that that's what was needed when you were going to make that leap from staff nurse to midwife, you needed to feel really confident in your Mm -hmm. decision-making. And that's what distance ed gave me. So I became really passionate about distance ed. And about a year after I graduated from that program, I actually joined the faculty of that program um, and found how much I love teaching. So I was there for a really long time while also working as a midwife. Okay. And then I did take a break from teaching for a while. And now I actually teach at NYU where I did nursing. And I also teach for Georgetown University, whose program is distance ed. Um, And I should rephrase, I'm adjunct faculty for both of those programs. And I don't actually teach courses at Georgetown. I'm more like an advisor. I work one-on-one with midwifery students and help them navigate their entire clinical experience. Um, and it's it's a really rewarding way to work with students. Like I help them learn how to write notes and I debrief clinical cases with them. And it's it's 
it's wonderful. And at NYU, I do, I do go teach there. I, I used to fly in, in and out. I, when I, I lived in New York and then I was in New Orleans and I would, I would teach there on campus quite a bit. Uh, but now with the pandemic, everything's distant. So um, I'm still doing that work, but I also do a lot of other fun things for NYU, like international projects and curriculum development and all kinds of stuff. So I've always got my hands in something education oriented as well. That's so badass. I was like Googling you and like looking around on um, your website and stuff like that. And I was like, NYU, Georgetown, this woman is a badass. That's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. I'm trying. I'm working hard. (laughs) Aren't we all right now? I I swear like nurses have so many different side hustles and avenues and you've literally tapped into so many different things. You're, you're tapped into the advisory and teaching side, right back to the bedside. And as a nurse and as a midwife, that's, uh, nurses are so cool. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) So as a midwife and, and working as a midwife, do they focus more, um, I guess my assumption is midwives always come in for the birth, but do you guys do more prenatal care and stuff like that too? Is it like a, like an adjunct to like a nurse practitioner that might do labor and delivery? Yeah. So it's a pretty complex answer because of course, I'm I'm sure you talk about this all the time, the way, you know, the way things are set up with having a national certification that can look one way and then licensure state by state can look another way. Mm -hmm. But just in terms of the scope of practice of what all midwives are educated and certified at the national level to do, we are primary care providers, meaning that we can provide the full range of primary care services and take care of people ranging from adolescents all the way through till the day we die like from through the lifespan, from as you get your first period, all the way through to your final period and beyond. Um, And so we do primary care, gynecological care, prenatal care, preconception care, which people forget about sometimes. Um, And of course, uh, attending births and taking care of people postpartum. Um, So we kind of do all of it. And I think people don't realize that they really do see us only as connected to birth. And as I've gotten older and spent more and more time in my career. And of course, we all start to get tired of being up all night. Um, I think our interests shift sometimes. And that's sort of how I have found this next phase of of my career where I'm focusing my energies in really specific areas because I love attending births and I love love all of that. Mm -hmm. But at some point you realized where the gaps are and you find yourself really wanting to focus on those. Um, So, but then just back to the original question you asked, we are very similar to nurse practitioners. And in some states, we are, if you look at our licensure, we are essentially nurse practitioners. Um, But for instance, in New York, where I've spent most of my career, we actually have a midwifery board in New York state, and we are licensed and regulated completely separate from nurse practitioners. So in New York state, we are independent providers who don't need super supervision of physicians. So again, really vary greatly state by state. And that's something that our national organization, the American College of Nurse Midwives, is working really hard on is to bring other states up to that place. Yeah. Yeah. Hold up. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Ah, hmm. 
the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. And now, back to the show. For your education for school to become a nurse midwife, since you can take care of people from, like, you know, the first period to, like, the last and and beyond, like you said, are there different, like, more in-depth midwife subspecialties in that? Or is it just all included in the realm of being a midwife? Yeah, at this point, that is all included, but things are always changing. So when I was a newer midwife, it was already part of my education, but it was a newer part to be doing, for instance, perimenopausal and menopausal care. Mm -hmm. And the primary care piece has really been expanded since I graduated. So for example, when I was a student, it wasn't common for students to attend a whole semester of a primary care clinical. Whereas now students do go to urgent care centers and other places to really hone their primary care skills. And we're always adding on and it's Mm -hmm. always growing. And it's going to be really interesting to see what the next generation brings, especially when it comes to things like um, trans care. That's a really big conversation because Mm -hmm. in truth, I have only been educated for female anatomy. And so there's going to be a lot of continuing ed that my generation needs to do as we start to incorporate other skills yeah. and male anatomy into uh, our courses uh, so that we can care for truly all people. That's really beautiful and a really important point to make as well. And I'm excited to see to see that shift in midwifery, but also just in nursing care in general. You know, um, that's like, that was one of those things as uh, a nursing student, you know, they maybe, I, I, I think I asked my clinical instructor, you know, in our L and D clinical, like, well, what do you say to a parent when like they have ambiguous genitalia and you just don't know, you know, it's like you, they deliver and you're like, it's a, you know, like that, that Mm -hmm. moment is is, is a, you know, it's a big moment for any expectant family. And that was like the, literally the only conversation we had in nursing school about even broaching the topic of trans care. Yeah, totally. And there are midwives absolutely leading the way on this. And of course, other professionals and other Mm -hmm. medical specialties for sure. Um, And, you know, I just am at this point learning and listening from them, because this is not an area I have any expertise, but I know I have a lot to learn. Um, So I'm just trying to focus on that learning at this point, but it is going to be just so interesting to see where this goes. And, you know, I think that's the burden we all as medical people, any field nursing and beyond have is the idea of continuing education and staying current, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you practice evidence-based medicine when you get tired of learning? Um, yeah. And we all can get tired of learning. Let's face it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a I, big burden. It's a huge burden. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to be a nurse, to be a midwife, to be a doctor, and to have that. 
I don't want to call it a burden because, you know, I'm I'm someone that like loves to learn, you know, but it it just does get really exhausting. It's it's like having to be on all the time. Totally. I think the more specific way I should have said that is like the burden of time, right? We all yeah. want to do so much and accomplish so much. And then of course, factored into that conversation is self-care. And like, yes. well, you know, most of the time, those of us who work these more full-time jobs, it is literally a choice between a vacation and continuing ed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the burden. <laughs> my mom used to, I remember we'd be on our family vacation up north every week. And that was my mom's only time that she could do her, um, like read all of her articles and do all of her like pharmaceutical continuing education courses. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels endless, right? Between mm-hmm. hospitals, you know, I, I feel like I pass my years, not only in the ages of babies I've caught, but, <laughs> oh, I'm due for infection control again. Didn't I just do that yesterday? Like it's yeah. crazy, right? So you've got the requirements from your hospital. You've got the requirements for your licensure and it just like goes on from there. And then God forbid you want to do the things you want to do. Like it's really tough. Um, and I, I just think, again, that's why we are all badasses in medicine and, <laughs> yes, and nursing and midwifery because we are working so hard to stay on top of things and take care of, you know, the coming generations. Yeah. Uh, what barriers are you seeing like your patient's face, you know, as a midwife? I have tunnel vision at the moment on postpartum care mm-hmm. because it, it's it's where I have decided to focus my energies because I think I can make the biggest difference. But in terms of midwifery care, I think we do a killer job across the board uh, in providing GYN care through the lifespan, prenatal care, and even at the bedside in labor and delivery, for the most part, I think we've got that figured out. There are systemic issues, of course, I could talk on my soapbox all day about all of them. Mm-hmm. But the biggest one that has felt most insurmountable to me, and that is not necessarily the fault of a singular provider, but again, a systemic issue is the postpartum care gap, mm-hmm. right? So we have somebody who most of the time is in the hospital for ranging between one and four days. Yeah. And they are most often not seen again until six weeks postpartum. Mm-hmm. And there are practices out there that are trying hard to, you know, offer a home nurse visit or a one week phone call and a two week visit in the office to check in. And that's an amazing step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But what people really need postpartum is close daily contact. Yeah. Ongoing close daily contact. It's and, and a journey that we are told should look and feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then we feel bad when it doesn't look and feel the way we were told it was going to look. And we're shocked by that. And yeah. so what I have been doing is holding people's hands from the time they are still in their third trimester, helping them plan for their birth because your birth affects your postpartum and mm-hmm. then helping them plan their postpartum and then holding their hand through the postpartum journey. Um, and so I, I, I basically work with people through the fourth trimester and beyond. And of course, the handholding, I pull back on that, right? So the first mm-hmm. two weeks, I'm holding their hand every day, many times a day. And then from there, depending on how they're doing, I start to back that off a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And then I do, you know, remote virtual consults many times through the postpartum period, covering the full range of things that can't possibly be covered in one 15 minute visit at six weeks. 
by then you've already missed the boat on breastfeeding success and mental health and comfort in the moment and healing and all the things, let alone all the things that come after the six week visit that you still haven't faced. Yeah. Yeah. The fourth trimester is, is something that people just don't really, it's, it's not, it's not the fun and glamorous part. You know, it's like, yes, you have your, your baby and everyone's excited about that, but that's where all the focus is. Like so much of the focus gets, the majority of the focus gets taken away from the mother and like how she's feeling and reacting to becoming a mom, this shifting in the hormones and all the things that your body's going through and processing with creating milk and feeding and lack of sleep and just stress. Absolutely. And I find that even the people who come to me because they're in the know and know that postpartum support needs to be better than it is, even they have a hard time focusing on themselves. So there will be moments where I'm trying to check in with them and they keep changing the focus back to the baby Mm -hmm. or they decline something because they're like, I just want to focus on the baby right now. And that just says how ingrained this is. Yeah. Is that where mother wit came from in the, the kind of urge to, to start this, to start this company? Uh, Yeah. So my business, um, has many pieces to it. And I also take care of people who are trying to conceive and struggling from a wellness standpoint. Um, I really love taking care of people who have underlying chronic conditions who need a lot more TLC and one-on-one. So I do some of that. And I also interface a lot on the fitness side of things because I find that there's a lot of people struggling to find their way back to their hobbies or their fitness in the postpartum period. So I have a personal trainer certificate. I'm a CrossFit level one, and I have a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach certification as well. Um, so a lot of the work I do interfaces in that area too, but I've really pushed this postpartum piece since COVID because people were really suddenly feeling so isolated because they mm-hmm. didn't feel they could bring strangers into their house. The strangers didn't want to come into their house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've really honed this, I think, since COVID. Um, So I was always there to offer people support in whatever way they needed at any stage, but this became much more cohesive during COVID for me. Yeah. How have you been able to kind of melt both of like the fitness and nutrition worlds into like your midwifery world and, and work for, you know, preconceiving care, like all the way through? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for one thing, healthcare providers are looked to or towards for information on exercise and nutrition all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are somewhat dishonest with our patients about how much knowledge we have. And I did that for a very long time. And what happened for me was that, you know, CrossFit is my love and my hobby and how I maintain my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a whole bunch of people were becoming pregnant at my CrossFit gym and they started coming to me with questions. And suddenly when I wasn't in my midwife role in the office, I was able for the first time to hear myself saying things that I didn't know were true and like oh. kind of retelling possible myths or just things that sounded good. Mm-hmm. And I recognized that. And so I started seeking out additional information. And that's what kind of led me down this path. 
um, you know, there's so much fear around exercise and we as medical providers, I think instill some of that fear. And even if it's not fear, we're instilling intentionally. It happens because one woman is told not to lift anything heavier than five pounds and another person's told she can lift up to 30 pounds and somebody else is told, keep doing what you're doing as long as you feel well. And so Mm -hmm. there's a distrust at some level about that information they're being given. They know it's not true or accurate. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I also do is uh, workshops for healthcare providers and fitness people to meld the two worlds. Like where where does your knowledge base on women's health end and where does your knowledge base on fitness end? And how can I connect those dots? And how can I help push the conversation in a direction that's more helpful and flesh out your team so that your patients can actually get the help that they need? That's how it started for me. But as I gained more and more knowledge as a personal trainer, I was able to implement some of that. Yeah. So, you know, it, that, that has been a really fun thing to do on the side of all of this. And of course, again, all of that's remote. Uh, but I, I will work with people one-on-one in terms of, their programming and helping them navigate issues. But that's what I really like is the navigating of issues. So I don't want to just do the ongoing personal training. I want to work with somebody who has a diastasis recti, who feels disconnected from their core. I want to help somebody who has a pelvic organ prolapse, figure out how they might be able to jump again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then I want to get out of the way and let them get back to what it is that they wanted to do. So I incorporate all of this throughout my care, um, Mm -hmm. be it reducing their fear, keeping them moving while they're pregnant or helping them safely return to fitness, right? Because you're going to have some people that just, they want to get moving fast and maybe that's not the best approach. And you're going to have other people who are really afraid because of the things that they've heard and maybe they need to get moving sooner. And so it's always different. It's not the same approach for each person. Um, And then I just really love helping people navigate pain and that feeling of disconnect that comes along hand in hand with postpartum quite commonly. That's really beautiful. Are you currently practicing as a midwife right now? Or are you focusing mainly on the mother wit business? Yeah, I am all in on mother wit at this point, along with my teaching responsibilities at the two schools. So that's where I'm at. And it, it's a, it's been an interesting journey to get to this place, but it feels, it feels really good and right. And like, I'm, I'm filling, as I said, filling a gap that is much needed. Well, that's what it, def- it definitely sounds like it. Just a sec, guys. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. All right, and we're back. What all does Motherwit specifically specialize in? Like all the different fields and or areas of of birth and everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, that's a really hard thing to answer because my answer is I will take care of anyone that comes to me in need of care, support, education. Um, and I may not be the right person for everyone. And I'm the, I'll be the first person to, to say so. So for example, when people join my postpartum program, they gain access to a referral network. 
of lactation uh, specialists, of pelvic floor physical therapists, mental health specialists, sleep coaches. So I know when it's no longer me that they need, and I'm quick to involve the people who they do need. So yeah, I think, you know, midwives wear a lot of hats and we can cover a lot of territory, but it is our responsibility to know where we end and somebody else begins. You're so awesome. (laughs) I've been like learning and trying to focus on my own fertility as well. I'm 35 years old. I don't have any prospects of of a partner. And um, my mom actually went through very early menopause at uh, 38. Mm. So I just went through, had like a bunch of testing and stuff Mm -hmm. done, like checking my follicles and I don't, I can't remember the names of all the different hormones and stuff, but I've had a ton of blood work checked. Everything looks, looks fine, you know, like right on track right now. So, Mm -hmm. but obvious, I mean, like having a child is one of one is something I know I'm supposed to do, like I'm meant to do. Mm. And I just want to make sure that I am able to do that someday. Freezing my eggs is just too expensive to (laughs) comprehend at this moment. Yeah. But how big of an effect does like fitness and nutrition have on your fertility and and future fertility? I think it really depends. So I tend to work with people who have modifiable risk factors Mm -hmm. because I by no means mean to claim that there is, you know, if somebody is struggling with infertility for any number of reasons, let's say that exercise or nutrition is going to fix it. That's kind of like saying that with cancer, we can go the all natural approach and get there, right? Right. Like there has to be balance here. Mm -hmm. So when somebody is overweight or obese, that's a factor in fertility. When mm-hmm. somebody has blood sugar abnormalities, that is something we can address so that they can have a healthier, safer pregnancy, mm-hmm. certainly high blood pressure, all of those things. But if you take someone who, after a thorough history and evaluation, right, I don't know enough about your situation, right. <laughs> but if you take somebody who is, is seemingly healthy across the board, will diet or exercise make a difference? possibly a little bit along mm-hmm. with some herbs and supplements and acupuncture and other things. Like there are lots of things one can do, mm-hmm. but it's a matter of being really thorough and seeing where we can find something to work with. So for example, someone might look really healthy because they're thin, mm-hmm. but maybe they don't sleep and maybe yeah. sleep is a piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So my job is to be very comprehensive and figure out where there is something about one's lifestyle that we can work on. So again, I tend to work with people who who there's an obvious need for Mm -hmm. some nutritional support, for some fitness support, et cetera. And then within what I think is reasonable within my scope, maybe we dabble in some supplements. But beyond that, I'm going to refer people out to herbalists, acupuncturists, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. which of course can be very helpful in the fertility realm as well. But in your case, right, you're talking about like, you just checked out okay, kind of medically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on what other things you have going on, at some point you're, you, you, time is, is what there is. And and just like you brought, you're, you're worried because of your mother. Mm -hmm. Now we don't know that you're going to be like your mother. We know that there's a statistical relationship between Mm -hmm. when someone's mother goes through menopause. But we don't know. 
Um, and I'm sure that that creates stress. Yeah. And then there's also this piece, right, where I'm, probably you've heard this before. It's so common, and I actually don't know if it's in the research, so I'm, I'm, this is anecdotal at this point. It is so common for people to try hard to get pregnant, and then when they finally say, I'm not trying anymore, they get pregnant. And yeah. so those of us who do this kind of work feel like there's this eerie thing that we've seen time and time again, and many, many people in my position will say they've seen this. Mm-hmm. So again, working with people in a really holistic way, making sure people understand their ovulation, making sure they know when they're supposed to have sex in order to get pregnant. You know, like all the things, there's so many things to do. Do you know basal body temperature? All the things. I go through kind of like everything that I think is in my scope. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when I've done everything I can, if it doesn't work, or whenever that person says, I want to step it up, well, then I support them in doing so. That's awesome. I, I love to I love to hear that because I feel like so many so many people think that, you know, using like a midwife or going to the chiropractor or seeing an acupuncturist or herbalist and stuff like that is is just trying to, you know, be like an alternative ther- like therapy or like that's that's what's gonna like cure everything. But when it's really so much of a a, a balance, you know, it, it needs to be more of a, like, I love that you have different resources and like people and stuff to be able to consult with, you know, to, to find like the best route and the best answer for, for patients. Yeah, absolutely. I have no shame in saying when, when I'm not the right person anymore and I will help people scattered throughout the country, find their path. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a balancing act. I don't want to do it for them because I want people to be empowered to do it themselves. But, right. you know, I'll say things like, you know, find yourself a pelvic floor physical therapist, reproductive mm-hmm. endocrinologist, fill in the blank. And if you want me to review something about them, be it their website, the reviews, if you have questions about the experience, mm-hmm. I'm here to help download that and figure out whether you're on the right path, you're with the right person. I'm really passionate about making sure people actually like and trust their team. Um, And I think a lot of what I do almost feels like case management. I've never done case management. It kind of sounds like it. Yeah. (laughs) And people will say that to me and I'm like, I never really realized that, that this is basically like midwifery case management because Mm -hmm. sometimes it seems that, and this is, I think, common in medicine that one provider has tunnel vision on the thing that they're there to treat. So for example, one of my clients was seeing a primary for high blood pressure and she saw the endocrinologist, her blood sugar wasn't looking so great and on and on it goes. And suddenly I say to her, you know, you meet the criteria for metabolic syndrome. And Hmm. she's like, I've never heard of that before. And I'm like, yeah, like to be the first person after somebody has been seeking help and care for years is it's, it's upsetting and frustrating. Um, and so I see myself as kind of the keeper of all the information and a place for someone to come back to and process everything that's happening with everyone. So I can say, well, what about this? Did you think about this? Did you ask this question? Maybe send a message through the portal with this question. So it's yeah. really just this really great supportive role. And it's such a pleasure to be in this position. That's incredible. So you've recently started the the Mother Wit company and business, uh, what is, what has that been like for you trying to navigate starting a business? 
oh my, what a steep learning curve. Um, <laughs> because, you know, nobody teaches you how to do this in nursing, midwifery, or medical school, right? No. It's probably one of the reasons that our system is so problematic because mm-hmm. we have, you know, medical people trying to be business people or we have business people trying to make medicine a business and neither of those things work, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm preaching to the choir, but I don't actually know that. So anyway. No, you are. <laughs> um, Okay. I actually started this business officially, like started, started from the very, very beginning before anyone knew I existed in 2017, knowing Mm -hmm. that I was going to leave full-time clinical practice and knowing that there were many steps I needed to take before I could do so. Mm -hmm. And so it's been an enormous work in progress. And part of the reason I didn't grow this program until COVID was because I couldn't wrap my mind around how one markets a business that it can be national or everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, it's one thing to be a small local business, which is hard enough, but doing something and opening it up to a larger community, I was like, how do you find people? How do they ever know you exist? And I'm still struggling with that. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no doubt about it. You know, you just learn a little bit at a time. I went to every small business free event I could find. Uh, I grabbed every free business coach that was out there that would speak to me. I joined a startup accelerator in New Orleans that's called Propeller. um, And they have an incredible social justice mission that has really informed my business and given me structure around social justice. Yeah. And now I am finally starting to think more about social media and all the things that are social, which has been really hard for me to do. And that's kind of where I'm at in this journey at this point. I really think that nursing education should contain a business course or two because, you know, nurses and healthcare professionals are are just so innovative, but we're just kind of, we just have to figure it out. You know, like you said, it's a really steep learning curve and, and it can be really daunting when you've you've spent so much time focusing on just treating someone from like the medical perspective and, and learning all of that. And then to add on like a whole other world of, you know, business, you know, it's like a lot of nursing brains, I feel like are almost more artistic and creative in that aspect as much as they are like of the scientific, you know, I'm using air quotes, brain. So it's like, uh, I I think that would just be so beneficial if that was part of like a nursing curriculum was was more business related courses. I 100% agree with you. However, there is this other voice in my mind that recognizes that there are so many things I want to say that about. Mm -hmm. And then I realize we would keep people in school forever. And oh, make them true. spend even more money and make it more cost yeah. prohibitive. And so I, I, I struggle because I have this memory from midwifery school. This is, you know, such an old memory, but it's very special to me. Midwifery school was trudging along and trudging along and I was loving every minute of it. But then there came this moment where I recognized I'm getting close to the end and I haven't learned anything about herbs yet yeah. <laughs> because I thought you would learn that in midwifery school. And yeah. so I said to one of my professors one day, like, when are we going to learn about all the herbs that do, 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 whatever I had to say? And she was like, Tanya, you can go get a certificate after midwifery school in that. And that was like a slap in the face. Like I never imagined. It was my first wake up call really about how much continuing ed mm. I had to do. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and this falls into that realm. So I feel like the best way, I think there should be an elective option for sure for people who are motivated, but I think that, you know, certainly bigger schools with more resources need to do a better job between their business schools of outreach to all the other programs that we know make businesses in this world and in this country. Mm -hmm. And so like, for instance, NYU's business school has like a entrepreneurial challenge every year. And I've like kind of made it my mission to make sure that students know this exists because someone who's motivated can go to these meetings and learn all this stuff and start a small business and pitch it at the same time and maybe win a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there might be other ways, but mm-hmm. yeah, big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Very big challenge. I interviewed a nurse. Her name was uh, Rebecca Love, and she helps run these nurse hackathons where, Ooh. yeah, they're really cool. Where like companies like Johnson and Johnson and Microsoft will bring in, you know, nurses and different like like doctors and just kind of leaders and stuff in in that area to come in and try and solve different problems, you know, to really get their input on things. And and yeah, it's it's that's it's pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess what what's next for you? Where can people find you to learn more about the Mother Wit program and, you know, services that you offer? Yeah, sure. So my website is motherwitmaternity.com. Uh my Instagram is mother.wit dot maternity. Uh, I think those are the two best options. I do offer everyone a free consult because I believe that people deserve to decide whether we're a good fit and have their questions answered before they pay me any money. So uh, I am absolutely available to people for free consults and any services that they need or can't figure out where to get help. That's really why I couldn't answer the question about what I specialize in because what I specialize in is helping people get help, whether it's with me or someone else. So I love that, Tanya. You have been such a joy. I've loved learning about your your path and and everything around midwifery. And I I think this program that you've created is is really special and really unique. And I encourage everyone to go and and check out her website and you know see if see if that's something that you know feels like a good fit for you. But what you're doing is really special, and and I thank you for it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tanya as much as I did. She is such a force for good in the birth world. If you are pregnant, thinking about becoming pregnant, Tanya is a wealth of knowledge and I fully recommend checking out the Mother Wit Maternity Program. It's www.motherwit.com maternity.com. You can also find Tanya on Instagram as well at mother.wit.maternity. And as always, please follow along with the guests and myself at the WOMED on Instagram and leave your NDE love in the DMs. Check out Patreon and Unlocked. I can't wait to connect with you guys and grow this awesome community. I love y'all. WOMED out. (laughs) 